0: Well, we certainly do uh, set aside this Sunday every year, first Sunday in March, to celebrate and recognize the anniversary of Abundant Life Church. And uh, today we celebrate 39 years as a church, having begun in Brother Fisher's living room in 1984, uh, which is easy to keep up with because that's how long the whites have been on the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> they celebrate the same anniversary every year. Um, and so we get together and just try to have a special day. Uh, we've done various things over the years, two or three years ago. You remember we had Bishop Bobby Sanders here and, uh, whoever was on the, was it you James on the video camera that day? Whoever it was had a hard time keeping up with brother Bobby, brother Bobby ran all over this place and, uh. But we just we just try to make it a special day, and it certainly is special. I've often said three of my best friends in the world are Chuck Groover, James Hambrick, and Tim Bryant, and uh, they're all three here today. Except Brother James had to go work. He's got to go preach at Cloyd's Cumberland Presbyterian Church this morning. He's got to. He he gets to. And of course, Brother Chuck is here. But I got to recognize my brother Tim Bryant. Wave your hand, Tim. Everybody knows Tim. <laughs> These are, th- these are three of my brothers from different mothers and, uh, I've always counted them as, as some of my closest friends and still do. And, uh, so we, I was thinking and praying about what to do today and how to make this special and of course it's already been special, but it's about to get more special. And of course, um when I met Chuck Groover, he was the, the new pastor of Victory Baptist Church, and at that time they were meeting right across the street here at the, what was then the Mount Juliet High School. And, uh, so we became friends over the years and have remained friends. As a matter of fact, somebody saw me and Chuck and James standing together early, they said, what are y'all doing? Gonna play golf? Well, <laughs> we do a lot of that together. But, uh, but I invited Brother Chuck because Chuck's a man with the word in his mouth. As, as has been said earlier, he pastored Victory Baptist Church for many years and, uh, and is currently the, the, uh, transition pastor. In my old days, we'd call it interim, I think, but, uh, at Lagardo Baptist Church, which is almost in my wife and I's backyard. We could walk out our back door almost and walk over to him, but, uh, but I wanted him to come and not just share the Word of God, which that's the most important part, but to share his heart with you. And for some of you who don't know Brother Chuck, today you get a chance to meet him. Let's welcome the man of God, Brother Chuck Gruber.
1: Thank you, my brother. appreciate you. Love you. Well, thank you for the opportunity to be here and... Um, I, I want to say that uh, we, as a community, want to thank this church for 39 years of faithful service. Uh, it's, it's not easy uh, to be a church. It's not easy to be a church plant. It's not easy to maintain a ministry in the midst of all that is happening around us. Um, we we heard from the chief this morning, and he is a man who carries a heavy burden. Uh, he, he carries the burden for our community and the safety of our community. But that burden extends beyond that because he is also someone who is faithfully serving as a pastor, and he takes Christ with him wherever he goes. And that's not an easy task either, especially when you're dealing with uh, all of the brokenness that they encounter. And um, there's never been a time when we should pray more for those who are in public service than right now, especially those who service in the critical areas uh, that we oftentimes don't think about until we absolutely need them in an emergency. And so we're grateful for that. Would you find with me this morning Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, chapter 9, and I want to speak for our time together today on the path of a compassionate ministry, the path of a compassionate ministry. I think that is so important for us in the midst of all that we are faced with in the day in which God has appointed us to live. I think that's difficult, Brother Larry, for us to to embrace that we have been appointed to live in these days. Can we say, as the book of Esther says, God has placed you here for a time such as this? Are we willing to embrace the fact that God has said, I have selected you Have we been in a position where we've allowed ourselves to be in the presence of God and felt the weight of his glory and his holiness to the point that like Isaiah, we would fall on our knees and say, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And in that repentance and in that confession, would we allow the the very presence of God to touch our lips, to empower us so that when he says, who will go, we will say, here am I, send me. I want to remind us today that God has called us, all of us. He wants us to go in his name. He wants us to go in his name. Someone asked me a while ago, um, well, how's retirement? Well, I, I tried to help the folks at Victory understand that there is no retirement. There's just reassignment. And while my schedule is different, and while the things that I'm called upon to do now may be a little different, they still, I pray, are in the name of the Lord. And so we have all been given a calling. We have opportunity. And the reason that this church sits on this location is because God had in his heart before the foundation of the world that in Christ Jesus, you would do good works. Amen. And so how do we find that path to a compassionate ministry? Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus has been going around the Galilee. He has been ministering to the crowds. He's been caring for the folks. He's been healing the sick. He's been touching the demon-possessed and setting them free. Crowds were just gathering, coming, 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 and they just kept coming. And here's the path to a compassionate ministry. Listen to the word of God today. Jesus continued going around to all of the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. It's His harvest. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace. And while some in this gathering may wonder about the preacher that is to preach, I pray there will be no questions about the Savior that saves. And I pray that we will be able to live, to deliver Jesus. To all who are here, whether it is for salvation, whether it is for renewal, whether it is for sending, may we hear you today and Father, may we be, may we be confident in the word that you've given us so that we might embrace the blessing that you intend. And it's in Jesus name I pray. Amen. Well, I want to say good morning to all of you in the name of Jesus, and I am truly honored for this opportunity to celebrate with you and my close friend and brother in Christ, Brother Larry Granger. As on this occasion, this day, Abundant Life celebrates 39 years, and you've put up with Larry for 22 years, (laughs) right? maybe what I should say is he's put up with you for 22 years. Uh, It's a matter of perspective, is it not? (laughs) Well, today marks a significant event in God's redemption history. It's important for us to note that. For as you reflect on what God has accomplished during the 39 years of Abundant Life's ministry, you will know there is much to celebrate Still, the significance of this day and every anniversary you will have until Jesus comes is that you stepped out of your comfort zone to raise up your Ebenezer as you recognize that God helped you to say yes to his call to plant a church in Jesus' name right here. And may your tribe increase. Right? Amen. One of, Pastor's, one of Pastor Larry's favorite television characters, Deputy Barney Fife, may have expressed my sentiments for this day some time ago when he said, of all the nerve, <laughs> right? Indeed, of all the nerve to think you could begin a ministry that would last in the buckle of the Bible Belt." Ban- Now, let me see if I have this right. I think I know exactly what people were saying to you in 1984. The last thing we need in Mount Juliet is another church. (laughs) Right? Did anyone hear that? I know because I've heard the same foolishness four times in my my life since 1981. It's always of interest to me when others presume to know what God is leading you to do in his name. If I had listened to others and what they had to say about God's direction for my life, there would not be a journey of ministry that began in 1976. Even those close to you, those who love you the most, can suppose to speak for the Lord. I remember when I went into the room of my parents and told them that I knew God was calling me to ministry. Now, don't you tell her, but this is what my mother said to me on that night. Don't make any commitments you can't get out of. What she didn't know was, Larry, it was a little too late for all of that foolishness. All right. I was called to pastor a church in Tallahassee, Florida. I'd been there about two months and uh, another pastor We met at a meeting and he pulled me to the side and he said, I wish you had called me before you came to Tallahassee. I said, why is that? He said, you should have never come here. He said, all that church does is chew up preachers and spit them out. Sometimes people presume to know what God is saying and what God wants us to do. We have to be listening to him. And we have to be a people who have enough confidence in knowing that if God called our name to save us, and then he sealed us to his purpose, and he empowered us with his presence to be able to accomplish anything through Christ who strengthens us, then we need to have the confidence to know when he's speaking to us. There are a lot of folks that are listening to a lot of voices today. And I'm here to say to all of us, it's time that we turned off all the other noise. And we need to open the book. We need to be still and know that God is God and that he is already exalted. He's already exalted. The only issue to be settled is whether or not we will exalt him. And he has called us to do that. I'm so grateful that you were willing to hear the voice of God. And that you continue to hear the voice of God. And you continue to represent Christ in our community in a very significant and impactful way. So, I stand before the Lord today to give him praise for those of you who had, who had the spiritual courage the spiritual courage to follow his calling as you stood on his word and walked in his anointing to discover the path of a compassionate ministry that is Abundant Life Church. And I think the Lord deserves a clap of praise for that, don't you? <clears throat> Our favorite deputy might have been on to something about church planning when he said this, You got to have compulsion complex, you know, like folks got to wash their hands at all day long. That's a hand washing compulsion (laughs) while church planning should not require a compulsion complex. It demands people have a compulsion to embrace Jesus' compassion for the crowd's He witnessed in and around the Galilee. A true heart for church planning requires you to see with the eyes of Jesus, engage with his presence power to initiate eternal transformation and believe what Jesus has promised is indeed your calling. You have embraced that. The question then becomes, do we see the brokenness Jesus saw in the people who cross our path? Do we see the kind of hurt and pain in those that are our neighbors and our coworkers and even members of our own family? Do we see that kind of pain? Do we believe that God has called us to engage the broken knowing that God loves them as much as He loves us? Do we believe as Jesus does that prayer changes everything? That means you, your perspective, on your situation in life and God's provision to accomplish his purpose in and through you. The path of a compassionate ministry compels us to discover the heart of Jesus if we are to walk in his footsteps. So where do we find the heart of Jesus? Look at this passage again. I want you to note, first of all, I want you to see... The context. There were those in your days, in the early days, 1994 and following, that said there are enough churches already here. Look at what this passage tells us. Jesus continued going around to the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues. There were churches there, and Jesus was going about his ministry surrounded by churches and preachers and parishioners. And yet, while the people are surrounded by places intended to provide hope, it is Jesus, the new guy on the scene, he is the only one preaching the good news. Jesus is the one doing something about the needs of those who are gathered in the crowds. We should determine from Matthew's account that the, the, that the message of the established church had grown stale. They had become more interested in satisfying their own desires than meeting the needs of the countless hurting people around them. Where were the preachers? What was it that was consuming their time? Why had they lost sight of the sheep in need of a shepherd? We need to be careful not to lose sight of why God has placed us here. He has placed us here not only to worship him, not only to stand on his word, but to look with his eyes and to see the hurting and not to look beyond them, but to look into them and to be able to minister to them in his name. So important for us. Think about this. As Jesus went from town to town, he went to the synagogues. There were places for people. To come. But where were the churches? How can God's salvation station hide in the shadow of its steeple, becoming a religious country club rather than a hospital for the spiritually sick? Where were the parishioners? How far removed are they from that moment of divine enlightenment when they realized in the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit that they were dead in their trespasses and sin and in need of a savior? And in God's grace, they discovered God's great love that he had for them and how he was able to make them alive in Christ Jesus. How far are we removed from that moment when out of desperation and without a deep discouragement, we bowed our heads and bent our knees and cried out for the mercy of God? How far removed do we have to be So that we no longer think of the people around us who are hurting. Friends, I want to tell you, if you're not paying attention, people everywhere, and some of them may be in your house, are hurting. And the brokenness of this world is leading us deeper, deeper, and deeper into depression and distress. Are we listening? Are we watching? Are we allowing Christ to help us? Do we see all that he has in store for us? As I read this passage and as I see Jesus' response, it leads me to ask this question. What was it that stood between these people and compassion for their neighbors and co-workers and family in need of the Lord? What was it that was blocking them from reaching out and ministering in Jesus' name? The fact is, while they sought comfort in their sanctuary, God's blessing passed over them. And we would do well to remember that God blesses those who rest in the shadow of his wings, not in the shadow of our stained glass windows. He wants us to go. He wants us to be his hands, his feet, his mouth. He's called us to this. And I want to say this morning, this is not uh, a let George moment. Let George do it moment. (laughs) My goodness, this is your moment to stand with Jesus bringing good news to the hurting and the broken. This is your moment to say yes, yes, to Jesus' call. Secondly, see the crowds. The indication here is that the crowds seeking Jesus were enormous, great crowds. Why were there so many longing to connect with Jesus? Because word had spread like wildfire about what Jesus was doing for people. People are drawn to the messenger who tells them how to overcome the issues in their life, especially when they see other lives being transformed. Why do we hear testimonies in every commercial that we see and hear over the airwaves wanting us to buy their product? Because they want in some way to connect with us saying, it worked for me, it'll work for you. People want to know. The crowds heard how Jesus identified with the broken. The thing that Jesus that allowed Jesus to stand out is that he didn't stand on a platform and simply lift his hands toward the people. He reached out and he came and he touched the lives and he touched them and he ministered to them. And for the first time in a religious setting, they saw someone not preaching down at them, but they saw someone speaking to them and speaking into their lives the word of life. If we want to follow the path of a compassionate ministry, we need to understand how important it is to have a testimony of what God is doing. And what God has for them. The crowds heard how Jesus identified with them and with compassion ministered to them, meeting their needs. They were looking for a miracle. They were looking for a miracle. To follow the path of a compassionate ministry, we must highlight the miracles God is performing in our lives. What is the last thing that you remember as a miracle that God did in your life? Do you know what it is? Can I tell you what it is? He gave you this day. Now what are you going to do with it? You know what we've done? We've made the miracles something that we see on the television screen out of Hollywood. I'm here to tell you that the miracle that attracted the crowds to Jesus was the fact that someone who was in touch with God was touching them. And what God wants us to do... And what God is calling us to do is to follow in his footsteps. We don't have to dream up miracles. Let's just acknowledge the fact that, number one, God is in us. Right? That God is in us. That God is working. That God has a purpose. You're not here just to take up space, to breathe the air. You're here to be an extension of God's salvation and redemptive history. He's chosen you. I hear so many people talk about, well, I was saved to go to heaven. No, you weren't. (laughs) I'm sorry. If you were saved to go to heaven, the moment you believed, you would be in heaven. Right? (laughs) For heaven's sakes, you're not saved to go to heaven. You're saved to serve the Lord, to honor Him, to minister in His name, to allow people to see what God is able to do when we surrender to Him. And I'm here to tell you today, that what folks are listening for and what they're looking for, and I know that the world is trying to convince us that the crowds don't want anything to do with what we're offering. They might not want anything to do with what we're offering, but they're dying to know what Jesus has for them. Right? And so what we need to do a better job of is giving them Jesus. And we don't need to manufacture miracles. We need to simply let people know what God is doing in our lives. There's not a one of us in this room that doesn't have something that is a challenge to you in your life going on at this moment. And as God is walking with you through that, and as he is leading you through the valley, that's your miracle. And what people need to hear is not how lightning came down and led you to repentance. What they need to hear is how you heard the still small voice that called your name. And in the grace of God, through the leadership and the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you said yes to his offer of salvation. And for the rest of your days here among us, you will spend telling the story of how Jesus saves. That's the miracle that those in the crowds are looking for. That's what they're wanting to see. That's what they want to hear. Thirdly, look at Jesus' compassion. Jesus did not turn from the broken. Instead, in this crowd, he had compassion for them. When the crowd became tired and hungry after following Jesus... Having compassion on them, the Scripture says in Matthew 14, He turned to the disciples and said to them, "You feed them." <laughs> Brother Larry, have you ever had that challenge when you challenged the church and said, "It's time for us to do something in Jesus' name"? You going to do it, and they're all going, "No, no, not us." That's what we pay you for, Brother Larry. <laughs> right? I love that passage. Because Jesus, he looked right at the disciples and the disciples had just said, do you remember what Jesus said? What they said to Jesus, send them away so that they can go into town and get something for themselves. Jesus said, no, it's your turn. Now's your time to feed them. And what did they say to Jesus? All we have is two fish and five loaves. There's nothing we can do, Jesus. Jesus said what? Bring it to me. And he blessed it. And he fed 5,000 men and their families. And there were 12 baskets left over. Let me just remind all of us today. We need to recognize the fact that when Jesus sees the crowd, he sees them with compassion. He doesn't see the impossible. He sees the possibilities. And he's asking us, bring me what you have. And together, I love the song we sang a little bit earlier. (laughs) Don't, don't, don't say I did it. It's what he's done because I gave him what I had. Right? And so we bring that. That's the compassionate path. The path to a compassionate ministry. It's recognizing and understanding that Jesus has something for us to do. And I love how convicting this is because what it tells me, and every time I read this passage and every time I think of this passage, it convicts me of the fact that Jesus never became conditioned to look beyond the hurting, even on the cross. He looked down at those who nailed him to that tree and looked to heaven and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He never looked beyond the broken. Boy, we have become conditioned to look beyond people. (laughs) Have you ever noticed how you're speaking to someone and someone else walks in the room and how they're trying not to embarrass you, but they're really wanting to get over to that other person. That's not how Jesus has called us to minister to people. He's called us to see people and to work with them, to touch them in his grace and kindness one by one. We have a tendency of looking at the crowd and saying, it's impossible. But when we begin to see through the eyes of Jesus, and note this. Remember when they brought the children to Jesus and the disciples were all telling the parents, go away, go away. He doesn't have time for this. And Jesus rebuked the disciples. You know what he was saying? Everyone is important. And everyone deserves a moment with me. And you are the introduction they need to him. Right? How important is that for us? Fourthly, look at their condition. This is one of the most. I, I, I think this is one of the most convicting passages in all of Matthew's gospel. And here's what what the scripture says. As we look at their condition, our translation that we read from today says, he saw that they were distressed. However, the word in the original language is a a bit more descriptive. It means to skin, to flay, or to lacerate. So we might say they were cut to the quick. And that terminology, and that, that phrase comes from an old English phrase that simply means "their abilities to survive is limited." Jesus saw them with limited ability to survive. Do we see the hurting like that? Do we see their condition? It's easy to read that word, Brother Larry, distressed, and say, okay, we get that. But do we really go beyond and understand that what Jesus was really wanting us to understand is the fact that they, if someone didn't step in and help them, their ability to survive was almost zero. That's how he saw them. Do we see the broken around us? Like that. He used a second word that in this translation is translated dejected. Again, it's important for us to understand the power of this word. That word distressed in another translation is translated this way. They were harangued. And what it means is that they had been talked down to for so long they were not able to lift up their heads. They dare not lift up their heads. I'm grateful that my God is the God who is my mighty shield and he lifts up my head. We need to bring them the good news that while they may not be able to lift their head, we know the one who does and they need to meet him, right? And then it says they were dejected. And the word there in the original language means that they were thrown or cast aside. They were hurled out. They were not welcomed in the synagogue. They were not welcomed in the presence of the preachers and the parishioners. They were helpless and rejected sheep without a shepherd. And they were... Easy pray for the wilds of the world. We need to be people as we continue to celebrate what God has already done for our ministry, His ministry here through you. We need to be people who recognize the depth of hurt and pain and sorrow, grief, that's going on in the lives and hearts of people all around us. Jesus saw them and never, ever looked beyond them. He had great compassion for them. And I believe that's what he's called us to. And I wish, and my prayer is that every church, every church that is a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing, Jesus-teaching... Church would renew their commitment to see the hurting as Jesus sees them and to minister to them. And finally, look at the command that Jesus gives. He says, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. (laughs) We live in a day when we'd rather pay someone than to do it ourselves. We live in a day when it's more about replacing than it is repairing. I'm here to tell you, lives are not replaced. They can only be, repla- be repaired by the amazing grace and love of Jesus Christ. And if they don't, if they are not introduced to Him, they will never understand the depth of His love that led Jesus to die on the cross for them. Right? My good friend Jim Murray had the lead vocals on an imperial song written by James Howard and Paul Smith. And the chorus goes like this. Lord of the harvest, place your fire in me. Servant you need now. Servant I will be. Give me the eyes of your spirit. Your heart of compassion to know. Lord of the harvest. Show me where to go. Would that be our prayer? Abundant Life Church, thank you for following Jesus as he showed you where to go and to have all of the nerve and compulsion to honor his calling upon your life. And thank you for entrusting the care of your compassionate ministry to God's chosen under shepherd, my friend and brother, Larry Granger. And I want to say a few words about brother Larry. Paul in second Timothy chapter four, verses one through five tells us that we should acknowledge that God is the author of all things and that what he wants us to do is to focus on the gospel for his purpose, and for his glory. So let me say that no true man of God can carry out his calling without the provision of God in his life. And most importantly, that gift comes in the form of God's helpmate to surround his servant with her deep love and devotion to God. And Anne, you have stood with Larry in his desire to be an under-shepherd to God's flock. In the shadow of God's wings, you have been led safely through the valleys and over the mountaintops of ministry. And with the Holy Spirit's consistent encouragement, you have remained focused on the Lord Jesus. And we may remember and honor Larry's ministry today, but not without recognizing your contribution to his kingdom service. And I say to you, and thank you for allowing all to see a model of a faithful helpmate, the God's under-shepherd. Thank you for that. When I come to my brother Larry, what is there to say? <laughs> 22 years of faithful service among you speaks for itself, does it not? And I will forever be grateful for the gift God has granted me with Larry's friendship. Being a pastor at times can be a lonely place. And it has been my experience that God always provides an opportunity for our paths to intersect with another when we need it most. And I believe that to be true with Larry and me and with James and with Tim. So let me share quickly these observations of my brother's ministry. First Larry's ministry has focused on belonging to Jesus. Mother Teresa, some years ago before her death, had a young priest approach her who complained that the rules of his superior were getting in the way of his ministry to the lepers. His lament was this, my vocation is to work for lepers, lepers. And Mother Teresa replied gently, brother, your vocation is not to work for lepers. Your vocation is to belong to Jesus. I've heard over 47 years people say to me, you work for us. I'm sorry. If that were true, I'd be working for someone else. My calling was never to work for the church. My calling has always been to belong to Jesus. And to minister to him. And your pastor has been busy belonging to Jesus. And I'm grateful to God for that, Larry. The greatest gift that he's ever given you during his time among you and leading you. Is for you to know that he belongs to Jesus. But also, Pastor Larry's ministry has focused on building on the heritage of the gospel. For the gospel is central to all that we do and all that we have been commissioned to do. It's the gospel. We have a lot of churches that want to build on their talent, on their music, on this or that. But I'm here to tell you, the only thing that lasts Is the impact of the gospel. And I'm grateful to God that Larry has for 22 years among you embraced the gospel as the main thing. His service among you was not established to follow the world, (coughs) excuse me, but rather the world was created to follow the church to the throne of God's grace and he has been about that. As an under shepherd to Jesus, Larry has been leading you by example to take up the mantle of leadership in the world that is rightfully yours as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And that's to use the gospel. By design, as a new creation in Christ, leading by serving others is in your DNA. Larry has faithful build upon the heritage that the gospel brings as we teach and preach Jesus saves. No other institution in the world is designed to lead by serving others but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do not diminish the heritage Larry has built upon by losing sight of who you are in Christ and your role in the work of his kingdom. Larry, thank you for that. Larry's ministry has focused on serving the needs of others. Meriwether Lewis of Lewis and Clark on his 31st birthday, wrote in his journal these words, I reflected that I had yet done but little, very little indeed, to further the happiness of the human race or to advance the information of the succeeding generation. And I resolved that in the future I will live for mankind as I have hitherto lived for myself. At the moment of Larry's dedication and consecration before the Lord, he committed to feeding the hungry with the gospel. He has offered the thirsty the, the gift from the fountain that never runs dry, and he has introduced those who were strangers to God to the hope that they will find in Jesus Christ. Larry has clothed those who were naked and exposed to the elements of the evil one to the peace that passes all understanding. And holding your hand when you were sick, as he extended the hand of Jesus, with his own. He visited you when you were imprisoned by the grief accompanying life's trials. Indeed, he understood Jesus' call that said, as you have done it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. Larry, thank you for being faithful to that. And finally, Larry's ministry has focused on a love for the work to which God has called him. Brother Lawrence said that we ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. Larry has gone about doing his ministry with great love, because I know Larry loves being a pastor, and God has uniquely gifted him with the personality and the skills to successfully connect with the people God has called him to feed. Larry has been about the ministry of feeding the sheep. Just like Jesus told Peter, Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Larry has loved God. He has loved the Lord. And he has been about feeding the sheep. Karl Barth, who like a phoenix, rose from the fire of liberal European theology, to ultimately call the church back to orthodoxy, visited the United States, and the only time he came to the States was in 1962, and he was asked if he could surmise or if he could wrap up the essence of the millions of words that he had written throughout his career as a theologian. and this was his supply, this was his reply: "Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible." tells me so. Pastor Larry has built his life on the main thing and a lifetime of ministry on the main thing, which is this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Thank you, brother, for being the example to all of us. for consistently reminding us of who we are in Christ and who we are to be in the love of Jesus. Thank you, my friend. Heavenly Father, for the amazing gift that you have granted us in Christ, for the tremendous challenge that you have placed within our hands of seeing with your eyes Of walking in the presence of your power, of believing with you that all things are possible with your Father in heaven. Father, you have placed us here, not just to be, but to represent you, and to with great confidence approach your throne of grace, knowing at the moment when it is needed most it will be granted to us. Father, don't allow us to become entangled by the cares of this world to the point that we become ineffective for Jesus. Remind us today that what we show of Jesus is what the people in our lives will see of him. Remind us that you have shown us a path the path of a compassionate ministry. Thank you for letting us be a part of your ministry of reconciliation. May our lives become truly instruments in your hands as you make your appeal through us to those around us that they might be reconciled to you Through Jesus Christ. Bless these. Your choice people. As they honor you. With a commitment. A renewing of the commitment. To follow you. Wherever you lead. And it's in Jesus name I pray. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you.
0: thank you brother chuck checks in the mail <laughs> um, you might get the impression that god's saying to us to go out in the in the field and harvest and because uh you know I've, we've been hearing that here for several weeks and then the last two guest speakers have told you the same thing so might want to get a clue that um it's out there. It's, it's, the mission field is out there and uh, and I know that you are I, I say that in jest, but thank you, Chuck, for being faithful with the word and being faithful here and and, uh, and challenging us once again to carry the gospel <clears throat> wherever we go, and as we've been saying around here, as you are going or while you are on your way, make disciples. And, uh, so we, we do, uh, I was sitting over there thinking, uh, next March, uh, I will celebrate 50 years since I was licensed into the ministry and almost half of it will be right here in this church. And so, and that's a good thing, by the way. And I don't know who's putting up with who, <laughs> but somehow we're making it. We're going to have a prayer of dismissal, and then obviously I would invite all of us to go into the fellowship hall. And I guess it's a pretty enough day; some the picnic tables can be used out on the deck as well, and enjoy a time of not just a meal together, but a time of fellowship around a meal and enjoying one another's company. Uh, at some point, it, Sybil didn't make it, yet, did she? Okay, Sybil had to teach Sunday school this morning. Can you believe that? People can't come because they're teaching Sunday school. And also also transporting her parents from Sunday school. So she'll be here shortly and join us uh, around the table. Stand with me. Lord Jesus, we declare that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you sit upon the throne. And you rule with a with a hand and an arm of righteousness. We recognize that you, as our brother has reminded us, that you have called each one of us, each one of us, to go out with our bag of seed, sowing and bringing in the sheaves. We pray that we we not only have the recognition of that and not only have the knowledge of that, but that we would have the empowerment from the throne of God to do that. That as we go and while we are on our way, that we would find uh, that grace that is necessary to accomplish the task. And that your Holy Spirit would not only rest in and on each one of us, but that you would continually fill us up with the empowering Holy Spirit. So as we go into our room in the back and share this time of fellowship, let that be encouraging and enriching and strengthening to each one of us. And then as we go back out into the marketplace and engage with those whom you have appointed for us to engage we would do so with our mouth filled with the message and the good news of your kingdom. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. And may you use each one of us to be the vehicles of that message and to see that happen. I do thank you for this food, this, this food that has been provided and that we will receive nourishment and strength. And we all pray in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, and you're dismissed. And I suppose we can go eat when we're ready.